All right, welcome back to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We're in partnership with the Black and Gold Hockey Production Studio. You're here with co-host father and son duo today, Andrew and Jim. Dad, how are you today? Doing great, Andrew. So I love this story here. We're in episode 131. Uh, this guy's got uh, uh, hockey in his blood, and how he got to where he is right now is a unique story. So why don't you get in here to the intro? Yeah, so today we're excited to have with a special guest, Cole Schultz. So Cole began his professional hockey career in 2014 with Bemidji State University as Director of Hockey Operations. After that, he moved on to the University of Maine as a video coach from 2015 to 2017. From there, Cole got the big promotion to the AHL's Stockton Heat as video coach and team manager for the next few seasons. Then transitioned to behind the bench the next few years as assistant coach for the Kansas City Mavericks. After moving on from Kansas City, Cole returned for another year to Stockton as video coach. And now as of the season that's just concluded, technically, Cole was hired and has been working for the Kalamazoo Wings and the ECHL as an assistant coach. It's a mouthful, but thank yeah. you for joining us today, man. How are you? <laughs> well, thanks, guys, so much for having me. I'm doing really well. So, Cole, let's, let's start from the beginning. Um, I know you didn't. Uh, go and play pro after you were in college, but you did play for University of North Carolina, if I'm correct, uh, yeah. for four years. Then immediately after you graduated, it looked like you had jumped into your first gig with Bemidji State. So um, was it always something you were going to do? What, did you want to be a pro player? Kind of give us the story. No, so um, it's kind of odd how kind of like my hockey background started is probably the best place to start with this. Um when my when I was like 12 years old, my family moved to North Carolina from Massachusetts, which you would kind of think is where my love for hockey would really come from. But when we moved to North Carolina, we ended up moving in next door to the then head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes, Paul Maurice. Right. So uh, that kind of was like what really gave me the itch to be involved in hockey. And then like that year, the Canes were incredible. They went to like that Stanley Cup run with Detroit and they lost that devastating game three but I was there when it was a triple overtime and stuff but like I was hooked and that's kind of like where this whole hockey thing started so started playing ice hockey from there um like you guys said I played at the University of North Carolina and then uh my junior season I ended up getting a pretty bad concussion and uh kind of knocked me out for a little bit in terms of being able to play so uh, I was fortunate that I had started kind of coaching roller hockey in that area and that sort of thing. And then um, one of the kids that I coached, his dad was the executive director for Raleigh Youth Hockey in the Junior Hurricanes program. So couldn't really play. So I was like, hey, does the youth hockey team need any help? And he, he set me up with a guy by the name of Tim Silcox, who was coaching a Bantam A hockey team. And I uh, started coaching with that crew. And I was like, well, this is a lot of fun. I'm going to keep rolling with it. And then senior year rolls along I, I'm coaching a different team and um you know after my senior year of college ended it was one of those things the plan was to go to law school and then uh, I ended up calling my dad in the middle of summer and I was like hey I wouldn't mind uh giving this coaching thing around and he's like if you can figure it out that's awesome uh, <laughs> yes. so uh so uh I looked on the AHCA website stumbled across that job posting with Bemidji uh called Tom territory submitted an application right away and luckily and fortunate for me about three guys said no <laughs> and uh I had a pretty good recommendation from Paul I, I like Tom basically said he didn't tell me much about anything hockey related but he said you're a good person and you'll work hard so if you'd like to come and help us out we'd love to have you then that's kind of where the whole story began essentially for me bouncing around Interesting. So quickly, as uh, uh, listed as director of hockey, hockey operations, 
what does that entail? And then kind of how did it prep for you for the video coaching gig at the University of Maine? So uh, at Bemidji, it was it was like a really good introductory introduction for me to get into hockey. Um, the director role, like, to be honest, I didn't have to do a whole lot of hockey up stuff because we had Billy Cruz, who was an awesome athletic trainer, travel coordinator, and Toby Palmasino, who's one of the best equipment managers I've ever seen in my life. So like, and, and he handled stuff from travel and all that stuff as well. So for me, I like my main goal and focus was the team video. Um, so worked really hard during that year, um, gained a lot of really valuable experience and the end of that season, Tom called me into his office and said, Hey, I'd like to take you down to Naples and, and try and kind of help you find a job where you're going to get paid real money. Um, and so flew me down to Naples for that coaches conference or whatever. And that's where I met Red Gendron and Ben Gite and uh, kind of fumbled my way into my next position there with, with those guys after having a nice lunch with Ben and Red. So um, yeah, but Bemidji, like, for me, I'll always look back fondly on it. It's it's an unbelievable place. The facility is incredible. Um, it's the coldest place on planet Earth. I don't care what anyone ever says. Like it's so cold. I remember like it was middle. It was Labor Day weekend and it's snowing, and I'm like, what is going on here? And then there was a day in the middle of October and it was like negative 12 degrees, and my car wouldn't start. And I called Tom and I'm like, so what do we what do we do here? And uh, he's like, well, I'll see you in the office in 25 minutes. So you figure that out. <laughs> and so like, you're kind of almost begging that it gets to that point where it's too cold to snow, but it's beautiful. The country is great. Like uh, you get to travel to some pretty cool places. Like we got to go to North Dakota right away. So you get to play against the big dogs and then you get to go play in these like hockey rich environments, like Michigan Tech and Houghton and Lake State and the Sioux and stuff where there's just like kind of that fabled history where hockey is the number one thing. So Bemidji kind of exposed me, I guess, to kind of life on the road at that point and enjoying time on the iron lung with the bus and, and then kind of springboarded me into where I went to today. So I'm kind of curious, do you, like when you got the first gig as a video coach, obviously you didn't have professional experience in it yet on paper. When you go to apply for these gigs or when they come back to you and say, hey, you do this, do that, was do you have to be open to all the positions, video coach, team manager, well, get to assistant? For me, it was a matter of like, I just need to get my foot in the door somewhere and then just show that I can work. And then beyond that, also show that I can grow and learn at the same time. Right. Like, cause it's, it's one thing if you can put your head down and work and just work in a single lane with blinders on. But for me in most places I go to, I really want to immerse myself not only in the community, but in the culture and basically everything that's going around. So I'm probably annoying to the guys that are right above me and right next to me. Cause I ask a lot of questions about the stuff that they're doing. Um, but for me, and then like from there, you kind of just show people that you're willing to work and that you're a good person and hope that your next job, whenever you're looking for it, there's someone that knows somebody, right. That'll, vouch for you and say you're a good person and I would say that probably goes further in terms of getting your next job and finding your next step than I guess actually like the quality of your work I mean I like to think that the quality of my work is still really good so don't get me wrong there but but having someone vouch for you I think is the most important thing because that's all this game is right is relationship building whether it's coaching working with an environment of other people working with your staff if you can't build a relationship with someone else, it's going to be really hard for your team to continue to move forward. Right. So. Yeah. 
Okay, so you officially depart uh, the NCAA world and you move into pro hockey and you get that immediate jump right into the uh, American League with Stockton Heat. You had uh, two positions there. It looks like a video coach and team manager. Um, how did that opportunity come about? And what are some of the main things that you took away from that experience? Yeah, so um, for me, it was kind of an interesting time uh, at the University of Maine. I had been there for two years, and I think the position had kind of run its course for me, um, where it was just limited in terms of opportunity for growth, right? Yeah. Um, so I had that conversation with Red, and, and basically, I don't want to say agreed to part ways because we stayed really close for there, but it was, all right, time for your next step. Um, and then fortunately enough for me, going back to that relationship aspect of things, I worked with Ben Gite at the University of Maine, and uh, he knew Jordan Sigalette, who was the goaltending coach for um, the Calgary Flames at the time. So talked to Benny, Benny's like, hey, I'll give Siggy a call, um, and ended up applying. And it's one of those situations where um, I probably didn't have all the tools that I needed in order to get that job. Um, especially once I got into it, it was a little bit of trial by fire. You wear a lot of hats at that level and especially with those two different positions. But um, I was able to get that job one because of that great recommendation Two, I interviewed pretty well with Husk and Brad Pascal. And then three, another guy said no to the position because he needed a green card. So it's another time where I was fortunate that someone wasn't able to do it, right? But right. Yeah, sometimes you need to get that balance, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I worked there for two years with Brad Pascal, who's a great general manager. He's still with the Calgary Flames and their Wranglers team is flying right now. So, um, but he kind of let me dive in and he showed me the ropes, but it wasn't one of those things where he's a drill sergeant on stuff. He allowed me to kind of, figure out budget management and time tra like travel and all this other stuff. And then beyond that, it was really on me to work with Husk and Chris Snow in terms of what they needed from video and then the analytics side of things. So you put in a lot of hours, you work really hard, but what was really fortunate for me is I sat next to a gentleman by the name of Cal McLean for my first year there. And um, brilliant guy, current assistant coach for the Calgary Flames. Um, but he allowed me to pick his brain. He allowed me to ask questions. And then the biggest thing too, was he also quizzed me. He would give me Schultz, what do you see here? What do you think here? And all that stuff and really helped me kind of figure out how to do pre-scout and how to look at a penalty kill and how to look at these own coverages in a different way. And for me, like that was one of those huge building blocks for me. Um, and then after I kind of had all the extraneous stuff kind of figured out the next year, Kale got promoted to the head coach of that group. Uh, and he let me really start taking over some pre-scout responsibilities for some teams and having more present presentations to the group and allowing me that opportunity to continue to grow, right, and learn and kind of share knowledge with our group in front of these, like, high-end prospects. So for me, like, one of those things where right place, right time, and great situation for me to learn. So I was just able to help parlay that into kind of my next steps moving forward. So when you first started your job with Stockton Heat, did anything jump at you as huge differences between NCAA and pro hockey players that you had to adapt to? And I don't necessarily mean the job wise. I'm sure that there's gonna be some differences mm -hmm. there, but what about the personalities when, when you're dealing with the kids, if you sit down with them with the video and everything, was there a staunch difference or anything that popped out at you? Um, I would say like it, it's more of a give and take at the professional level um, in terms of like college guys. I don't want to say like they're robotic, but 
Um, they're very much like, yes, coach, no coach type of stuff. Right. And they kind of put their head down, go to work type of guys, um, which I kind of hate, to be honest with you. I love okay. creativity and all that stuff. And I like a little bit of pushback, but I also think that helps me grow as a coach because like, if I don't get to see your personality and kind of see like, Hey, like if this kid sees this play all the time and he can make it, then like, why am I going to tell him? No, don't make that play in that situation. You know what I mean? So, right. um, but at the same time, like with the college kids, you have to manage not only like their hockey rates, but it's their schooling, their relationships, their family, being away from their family, all that stuff. And it's not their job yet, right? Like they're all aspiring or a lot of guys are aspiring to be a professional hockey player, but there's a lot more on the table at that moment in time. And then when it comes to the professional aspect of things, it's like, this is their job, this is their livelihood. So it's taken in a little bit of a different manner. And they're all trying to elevate and get themselves to the NHL or the highest level possible, right? And they're playing for contracts and all that stuff. So just like the skin in the game, I guess, is a little bit heavier at the professional level, right? In terms of what a guy is trying to do. But also I think it, there's a little bit more freedom in terms of like, they feel a little bit more emboldened and empowered to kind of say like what they see on the ice, what they're going through. Um, and I think that really helps form a positive relationship and things too. What's the hardest part of being under the video coach um, position? The hours. <laughs> I bet, I bet. Um, like, so like the kind of way that I put it right is like, I take like, we'll call it eight to 12 hours of video, right? And you try and condense it down into like 25 minutes to go over with your coaching staff to then condense that down into like four minutes to get with your team, right? So like in order to do that and be successful, like the detail that goes into that long time is important. The hours that you have to stay up late in order to cut stuff and make sure that it's ready to go for the next day, it takes a lot of time. Uh, and then just identifying what's most important for that day, like here in the ECHL level, right? It's like we may play four different opponents in five different days. So for us, it's we've got to figure out, all right, what's most important to show? What can we kind of combine in terms of like, hey, Indy does a similar thing to Toledo here. So can we use one clip here as opposed to having to show both Indy and Toledo in order to get our teaching point across, right? Um, and then... I guess when I was doing it at the AHL level, it's just, there's a lot of hours that go involved in being really detailed and polished and understanding what's going on with your opponent, what your team's doing. But like with my kind of team management role there, when you have to do that, you also have to check in for a Southwest flight and you have to make sure that the hotel rooms are ready and you have to make sure that yeah. all the meals are prepared and ready to go. Like it, it just becomes a lot at a certain point. So, um, but I think it's really important to also to get that stuff you learn a lot about time management you learn about like identifying what's most important and kind of working backwards from there so um you learn a lot but i guess to go back and circle back to your original question it's definitely just the hours that it takes to be yeah so after Stockton Heat, you did move on. You got promoted to finally behind the bench with the Kansas City uh, Mavericks and the ECHL's assistant coach. Hopefully I'm correct, but you also eventually at one point started as interim head coach. Yeah, that's correct. So, so yeah, so how did that happen? And what is that what is that like? That's gonna yeah, be well, thrown into the well, deep first, waters. First of all, you're behind the bench finally, right? So yeah, it's kind of yeah. like a little bit of a dream come true. Right. Yeah. And it was in my hometown too, which was really oh, nice, yes. right? So like that's pretty cool. 
Um, but I was really fortunate in that that was the affiliation that we were with at, a at the time um, was Stockton in Kansas City. So Kyle Hood left um, their former assistant coach there and he took a job coaching a prep school up in Quebec, I believe. And it kind of opened the door, um, talked to Brent Thiessen and John Scott Dixon, both great guys. Um, and eventually Brad Pasco kind of helped me also get that job. And it was really nice for me. It was something that I needed um, to finally kind of have that as on my resume so I could really do that and dive into it. Uh, John Scott was awesome. He let me have the penalty kill right away and take over a special team. Um, and then it was just, it was one of those things. We started out okay. And we were kind of just like a 500 team and uh, we just started losing. And part of it was we didn't have players. Part of it was injuries. Part of it was, it was just a mess at times. And uh, unfortunately, John Scott uh, got removed from his position that year. Um, and then for the time being, it was one of those things where it's like, all right, cool. You're going to wear a lot of hats here. So, <laughs> so I got promoted to the interim head coach for, for the end of that season. And then the really cool part about that and kind of making things go full circle of stuff was, um, the college coach at the university of North Carolina there, uh, their season was over and I was able to like get Jeff to come in and kind of help me out. So it's almost like pay it back to my school and the program that I play at, but also give another guy an opportunity who may not have reached that point or whatever to come in and help me and kind of just be a saving grace, to be honest with you, because it gets pretty lonely sitting in that room by yourself. I would say like, sometimes you just need someone to vent to someone you need. Sometimes you just need someone to bounce an idea off of and just to make sure that you don't feel like you're doing it alone. Right. Um, so I was really fortunate. And then I had a really good support system. Like Stockton sent the goalie coach down for a weekend for us. So like, I didn't have to be alone behind the bench and stuff and he could help me run the D. So I was really in it, probably an insulated environment, but it also in terms for me, like it gave me a real life experience in, it, in terms of how do you take over a team mid season? Like not everyone gets the opportunity to do that. So um, it also let me reach back out to Paul Maurice and kind of say like, Hey, what do you do here? And he basically told me, well, find what's messing you guys up the most and fix that. So it's just like, just focus on one thing and get the guys to work hard. So I took that to heart. Um, we started getting a few wins, which was nice. Um, and then I got to connect with Red Gender. And then he, for me, that was huge just because my first time doing something is not to say that I wasn't confident in it, but I mean, I would be lying if I didn't say that I didn't have some misgivings about it. And when he kind of just let me vent for a little bit and he said, Hey, Schultz, see you're ready for this opportunity. Don't worry about it. And if you need anything, it's kind of just like that deep breath that I needed in terms of like, all right, here we go. Let's dive into this. Um, so for me, I was in a really good environment, kind of created a lot. And then, just like a fun little anecdotal story. It was our first game after that. And uh, so it was my first game behind the bench as a head coach in this league. And I was allowed the previous summer to bring in one player uh, who was Brian Lemos, who plays for the Indy Fuel now. Um, and he straight up lied to my face when I called him over summer. And I was like, hey, are you planning on playing pro? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I'm really excited to kind of come in and try out. And then two weeks into camp, the kid's showing up. He's almost putting up a point per game. And his buddy, Hayden Hockey, was one of our goaltenders. And Hayes comes up to me and he's like, hey, Schultz, did Limo tell you that he was retired? I'm like, no, he did it. So he was training to be, he was training to be a bodybuilder. And I'm like, so I call him over and give him a little bit of crap. 
but um but it ended up going to overtime that first game and I'm like man it was one of those games where we we were playing Tulsa actually and I think we had outshot him like 40 to 20 or something and just couldn't get one to go and Ole Erickson Eck was playing great but Limo ended up being the guy that scored that game winner for us that night so it was kind of like a cool little full circle of like hey here's the one guy that I can bring in and then he ends up giving me my first win as a head coach so that was pretty neat. That's pretty so cool. you end up uh, a quick stint back uh, in the uh, American League with Stockton. And now let's get to where you are now. So then you get the Kalamazoo Wings uh, assistant coach job. How did that come about? And then we've got some coaching questions for you. Yeah, for sure. So for me, um, goes back to the whole relationships things, right? Um, so I lived with a guy by the name of Mitch McLeod when I was in Stockton, who was our assistant equipment manager there. Uh, he was the, ex- he was the equipment manager here in Kalamazoo. When Marty got promoted to the head coach here, he called me and asked me if I'd have any interest. So it comes back to that whole relationship building, right? So guy that I lived with for two years, that was an equipment manager, puts in a good word for me. I have a few conversations over summer with Marty and I was fortunate enough to land in a great community here in Kalamazoo. Wow. That's awesome. Tonight. Yeah. So I want to start with the coaching questions now, if you don't mind. And this is one that we like to ask, uh, especially the coaches in the ECHL. And uh, most of the fans listening to the show now realize, and even with the AHL, especially when it gets closer to playoff time now, all your players are gone, especially if their AHL affiliate has taken them up. How difficult is that? And what do you do as assistant coach to help build that roster when all of a sudden you got people being pulled up and down? Or it's the opposite where the AHL affiliate is done right. and the East oh, Coast yeah. team is pulling all their, yeah. their guys down. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think both situations are kind of unique. Um, but I think the biggest thing is establishing your core. Um, and everything kind of works inside out from your core. So in terms of your values and, and what you want in your players and stuff like that. I think it comes down to like your captain, your core group of guys that, you know, aren't going up, probably aren't getting sent down or released. And that becomes kind of like your team, your nucleus and making sure that when it becomes plug and play at the end of the year, when stuff like that happens, that you don't lose sight of your identity and your core in that room is like a really big part of that. Um, so I guess to tackle each of them when the American league group, gets called up, we'll say, right? Like we were talking about because they're in playoffs, they need their black ace because they're extra practice guys and stuff like that. Uh, I think it's really important to fall back on your recruiting. Um, I think it's an awesome opportunity for guys to get put into a position that they normally wouldn't. So like if you've been sitting on a bench for 64 games and you haven't had any power play time and you've been wanting it, you've been asking for it, and you finally get that opportunity, it's a great one for you, right? Because you can finally showcase what it is. And then the other aspects of things for us this year, we were really fortunate in terms of, it got us, like we got a lot of college guys at the end of the year in terms of Brendan Bushy, Aiden Spilossi, David Kieferd, all those guys. And it gives those young guys an opportunity right away. And selfishly for us, it allows us to take a look at them and see how successful they're going to be at this level, if they're going to be successful. And then the other side of that too is, um, give them an opportunity right away to kind of feel it out, understand the league, get their feet wet, which I think will pay dividends for them coming next season. Um, the flip side of that is what do you do when you get sent down a whole bunch of AHL guys, right? Like you guys were talking about. Um, I don't think you ever want to turn away really good players. 
<laughs> right. I can't help you win, right? Um, but at the same time, I think it still comes back to that core and that nucleus, right? Because um, the human dynamic is interesting, right? In terms of there's guys that get sent down that have been in the American League all year long or are tired or a little banged up, don't necessarily want to be at this level right now or like don't want to do a playoff run. They just want to get healthy. They want to start training. They want to be ready to go for camp, right? Because that's going to be important for them. But making sure that one, you've established a room that has that buy-in and that culture that allow like the, that drive for that win and that team first mentality. And two, making sure that like those individuals, when they come down, there's an understanding that like winning helps, like regardless of what you may think in the short term, like teams that go deep in playoff runs, teams that win championships, those are the guys that continue to get contracts, right? So it's important, like, so if your core doesn't necessarily have that grip that you need and you need to dangle that little extra carrot, like, hey, contracts are coming, you make more money. It's kind of what happens when you win, right? So yeah, having that attitude when you sent down, the only bad part is, is that when those players do get sent down and they're really bought in, you're going to end up having to probably cut someone that deserves to be there too. And that's the worst part of the job is calling that guy into the office and having to have that conversation where it's, hey, we're we're going to have to move on because like we have roster limits, we've got a salary cap and this guy just fills the void that you're trying to fill for us a little bit better. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, kind of in that same uh, scenario, you know, East coast leagues, I think it's a little bit tougher because, you know, what do you do in a situation where you've got the East coast players that are contracted by say Kalamazoo, and so we know what they're making, which is not much. You got an AHL guy who's got a con- an NHL contract, right, for three years or whatever, but they get sent down to the East Coast League. You got to play them. Oh, you're talking about ELC kids? Yeah, okay. yeah. And so you got to play them because the affiliate wants you to, you know, get them more ice time, whatever, and develop them. But you got that East Coast contracted player. Is there ever sort of a butting of heads you know the kids down i don't need to be here i should be up there type thing and you're like you know first of all shut you know basically you're making a lot more money than the guy sitting Mm. in the room second of all you got to be a pro and third of all we got to be a team i mean that seems to be like the hardest thing yeah and you know what i i don't want to i don't want to make it seem like all guys come down and they're in that mood right like that's i i don't want to make it seem like that you just you get an egg like that every once in a while um but the biggest thing i think is just honesty and transparency with both your players and your affiliate like if you need more out of a guy like doesn't do us any good calling the agm of an nhl team and just saying like hey this guy's dogging it like for us it's a matter of just having that open line of communication like we're very much an open door coaches room here in kalamazoo um and i like to think that we shoot players straight in terms of where they are where they're at what we need from them and all that stuff so if you're not bought into what we're asking for there or want to do there, then like maybe a phone call needs to be made to that AGM or whatever about what we need to have done. But overall, like most guys are great guys. They come down, they work really hard. I think the best example of that for us this year would have been Ben Copeland. Um, The guy comes down, spends, he was at Penn state. He ended up signing an American league deal halfway through the year. Comes down near the end of the year during Cleveland's playoff push, which I could see would be disappointing, but his attitude was unbelievable. 
it was great. He comes down, he helps will our team and kind of like helps us set a foundation for next year in terms of like after the trade deadline, our team was really, really good. And he was a big part of it and his attitude that was unbelievable during that time. Right. So for us, it's just a matter of making sure that we do have that initial conversation with the guy. Hey, how are you doing? What was the feedback that you got from your group? Why do you, why are you down here? Did they tell you why you're down here? Um, and then our goal at the end of the day is to make sure that we help them get back up. Right. So, we'll do the things that we'll take the feedback that they got from up top and kind of use it as a development method and have those conversations with those guys work on those things that they're perceived to be deficient in. And hopefully by this time next year, we're not having that same conversation with them because they are at that American league level and they are helping that team with their playoff push. So, so the, oh, go ahead, Andrew. So just speaking on um, assistant coach and the, the different jobs that you do on the ice. So um, I assume that, you're 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 probably put in charge of penalty kill, power play, offense, defense, whatever it is. Kalamazoo specifically, what was your job um, this year, and what 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 is your specialty person? What if you got the yeah. chance to do whatever, coach whatever? What would it be? So I do. Um, I work the D on the bench, um, and then we're really fortunate in to have a player development person here by the name of Ben Wilson as well, who's a captain here in Kalamazoo, played D here forever. And um, he's also awesome, like in terms of progression, drills and stuff like that, that he has, he really helps build and strengthen me as a coach, gives guys ideas and stuff. And then on top of that, I also run our team's power play. Um, and so it's a lot of sleep in this light. So when, when your power play doesn't get one that night and that sort of thing, but it's also super rewarding when you see them go out and execute something and then kind of put your team in a really good spot. And fortunately for us, after the trade deadline, we made some moves. We changed up some personnel. We didn't really change what we were doing on the power play. Um, but it's one of those things where we were able to find a little bit of success, create a little bit of momentum. And I think we were the best team in the league following the trade deadline um, in terms of that little stretch of time. I think it was 12 games or something like that. So gave us something to build on, gave our group a little bit of confidence. And hopefully we'll be able to bring a lot of those players back next year because Honestly, that's what makes power play tick the way that it needs to. Um, I guess more of a head coach question, but I don't really know. So I'll just ask this. So you, you've been on a player. Uh, you've told the player expectations, what they're not doing, what they need to be doing. We're talking pros here. Um, how much time do you give? And I know it depends on the player, the situation, but typically like as a coach, when do you, how much time do you give a player to turn it around before you say, look, we've told you what's expected. We told you the changes you need to make. We've given you X amount of time. It's just not working. Yeah. I think it's a lot of time, place, situation type stuff, to be honest with you. Um, so like for me, it's, it was like, I like to do a lot of one-on-one -on -one videos with guys because I think that is where you can really get to the crux of teaching, get to know a player's thoughts a little bit more, um, understand what they're seeing, kind of have more of a dialogue in terms of like, what do you see here in this situation? Where's this play leading to and stuff like that. Um, in terms of a bench management situation, kind of comes time, place, situation. So if you've got a guy that um is an offensive guy but he's turned over the pill a couple of times he's fighting the puck a little bit and it's not working for him you kind of just go give him that nudge and you're like hey like we got to simplify here we got to slow stuff down like just it's not there and then does it again and then it's kind of like your last reminder 
but the other thing too is like you have to read it too so if we're down five to two and it's halfway through the second period you want that guy trying to make that play uh one because we need him to make that play and two it's probably pushing offense so if he makes it we've got to take we've got to have a little bit more high risk high reward in those instances right but if we're up to one in the third period and we're trying to make a pass to the middle part of the ice or try and make a spring play to someone through four different bodies like it's not what we need at that moment in time i think a glass or an eat in our own zone is fine so um you kind of just have to sit on it and basically evaluate well where are we in the game is that a play we need at that moment if that plays reward level is high enough does that make sense for us to be making at that moment in time so i think you also have to do it on an individual basis too like there's guys that have certain tools in their toolbox where like that is a play they should make or that is a play they can make so you want to give them a little bit longer of a leash and allow them to kind of play within that freedom um, and then there's other guys where it's your toolbox may be a little bit more limited on certain sides of things and um this is one that's going to make you more successful as a player and make me want to play a little bit more too, but it's also going to allow for our team to have a little bit more success. So for me, I, I don't think there's ever like a concrete, like this guy's getting yanked or it's the old Bobby night where ass meets bench, bench sends signal to brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I don't think there's anything concrete. There's no methodology into it. It's more so you kind of have to break down into time, place, situation and, who you're dealing with as an individual and see if you can't get it to go from there. So how do you approach individuals and players now? Because, you know, back, back in the old school days, you know, you were able to have the, the Daryl Sutters out there, you know, the rough and tumble coaches and guys able just to say, yes, coach and do it. But now it seems like you need a little bit more positive reinforcement, a little bit more, I guess, connection with the players. And so what do you notice now? Um, and especially between the NCAA and then the pro league too, or was it similar or not? What, what's kind of your experience? To be honest, in age gaps? I, I think it's, I think it's on us on, on us as coaches to figure that out. Um, there's going to be guys that need a little bit of massaging in terms of like, Hey, like let's talk this out. Let's have a dialogue about it. And then there's other guys that just need that boot in the ass. So for me, like, I like to have a conversation with all of our guys like early on in the year. Um, like, do you like hard coaching? Would you rather have a dialogue? Do you shut down? Like, I, how can I help you? How do I help facilitate you become the best player? Right. Um, and then, but then there's also times where like, you kind of just figure it out too, as the season goes on in terms of like this guy, like when I give him a boot in the ass, like, He's gonna be great. And sorry if I'm not allowed to say. No, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fun. But um, but no. So it's one of those things where you kind of you gotta just you gotta learn your player. And and for me, it's like you gotta let people. I don't want to say fail, but you gotta let them try stuff. Like you gotta let them play hockey too, right? Like there's nothing better than when stuff's clicking and the ball or the puck's moving around and teams are feeling it, right? So you got to give guys a little bit of rope in order to make plays and do stuff. Like it's not a, I don't think it's a game anymore where you just want to go back and rim a puck and get it out of your zone as fast as possible and then hope that you can regain possession. So for me, it's allow our D to make plays as long as they're doing the right things and kind of following the guidelines within our team structure. It's, it's one of those things where it's hard to pull a guy when he's doing things in the right situation. My last question, uh, and it's more of, I guess, a scouting. When you're scouting a player, 
And, uh, and I think it's changed in the last 15, 20 years where, you know, it seems like even at the East Coast level, all the checklists on that scouting report have got to be checked off. Everything's checked off, uh, whether it's, you know, speed, agility, uh, puck control, puck possession, you name it, hockey IQ. But what about competitiveness? And how, what do you, yeah. what, did, what does that mean to you? Like if a guy's got almost all the boxes checked off, but the competitiveness is way up there compared to another person, because you could have all the boxes checked off. Yeah. It's just not competitive. I, I think you know where I'm talking. Yeah. That's um, Panthers. <laughs> I think you have to also, um, it's kind of one of those things where what does competitive look like for a certain player, right? Yeah. Um, because let's face it, there's all different body types, all different skaters, all this other stuff, right? So, like, for me, like, we can take Radko Gudis, right, for the Florida Panthers. Like, what's competitive for him? It's putting his face in front of every shot. It's being really mean on your box outs. It's being heavy and hard to play against in terms of, like, putting a shoulder into a guy and driving him and all that stuff. And then, like, we had a player in Stockton last year, and he – probably would have led the league in scoring this year in the AHL had it not been for a couple of call-ups and Matthew Phillips, right? Now he's just as competitive as a guy like Judas, but the difference is, is like he's five foot six and 145 pounds with his gear on if he's just gotten out of a pool. So like, <laughs> it's one of those things where like competitiveness for him is getting under sticks and, and winning tight one-on-one battles and spinning off of guys and, Honestly, for him, it's it's like taking abuse because he's a smaller guy and teams take liberties on him because of who he is, how good he is, and stuff like that. And finding the ability to play through that and and not getting riled up and not allowing that to affect your game. And he's elite at that. So for us, if we're watching a player and we're talking about the type of competitiveness you're describing, we have to look at a guy's body of work, his attributes, what he is in terms of like physical stature and characteristics and kind of be like, what does this mean in terms of how can we make this guy competitive or what makes this guy different? Is he willing to throw his face in front of a shot? Is he going to win all of his one-on-one battles and all that stuff? And for us personally, like we can watch a hockey game and kind of know like this guy's a dog. He's on the puck all the time or so on and so forth. But for us, like we're really big in terms of let's call guys that he plays with guys that he coach him and stuff like that and get their take on it. Cause they're going to know better than anyone. Right. Like, you can put it together in evaluation and watch a guy, but it's tough to find out all the words unless the guy's seen them over tons and tons of time. And we don't necessarily have that all the time, right? Like, Hey, a guy just went down, a guy just got called up. We got to get a guy from college and we've got two days to do it. So it's not like we can watch a whole season of a guy in a day. So for us, it's you, let's use our relationship network. Let's make these phone calls. Like, does this guy vouch for him as a person and a human being? Cause that's first and foremost, because if he doesn't vouch for him there, then he can't really do anything after that point. But beyond that, is he competitive? Does he work hard? Does he make the right plays? What are his warts? And kind of just have to evaluate everything from there and, and kind of say like, do the pros outweigh the cons? And if so, let's bring it in. So coach, where you're at, we'll, we'll finish with this. Uh, you just finished the season with Kalamazoo. Uh, do you got another contract? Are you negotiating contract? Are you free? Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> uh, I'm hoping to be back next year. This is uh it's a really, really special community here in Kalamazoo. Um, like I was lucky enough to be here for a lot of firsts for guys. One would be coach Martin's first win as a head coach. That was awesome. 
I was here to see Justin Taylor break a Kalamazoo wing scoring record. I was here to see Hunter Vorva's first shutout and his first per, like professional win at this level. And he's a local kid, right? Like, so for me, I was able to share in a lot of really special experiences. And then beyond that, this community loves hockey. Um, it's one of those things where you feel it, feel it in our building. Like we've got one of the oldest buildings in professional hockey and it shakes basically like when we get 4,000 people in here and it rocks and it's, it's fun. And the cool part about Kalamazoo is like, it's a college town too. Right. So there's nights this year where there's 6,000 people watching a Western Michigan hockey game, 10 minutes down the road at Lawson. And then we've got 6,000 people watching a game here and double buildings are rocking. It's just, it's a really special community, man. It's kind of like a, it's hard to explain, but it's something that you're really proud to be a part of. And uh, you get a little choked up when you watch our team's intro video and it talks about kind of the history of Kalamazoo and all that stuff. So uh, I'm hoping to be back. <laughs> yeah, good, awesome, good. man. Coach, yeah. we'll say a quick goodbye off air, but on air, we can't thank you enough for coming on and you've been a great guest. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. And if you need anything in the future, just let me know. Thank you, Coach. Great guy. And another coach here yes. on the Lindrop Hockey Podcast. Yeah, we've had quite a few of the ECHL assistant and head coaches. Love, love hearing about these hockey journeys, which is part of the reason why we started the podcast format we did two years ago. Yes. And everybody's hockey journey is different. Right. And look at him. I mean, he ended up being a, a head interim head coach at the East Coast League. Right. And never played pro himself, but worked his way, paid his dues. Uh, getting to where he is by a different route. Yeah, absolutely. Nice guy, very insightful too. And uh, yeah, it's it's good stuff, man. You like it when the coaches come on and give you a lot of insight too. So make sure you're following uh, Coach Cole's career here, man. And I and I, I think won't be long before he's a head coach because he's getting the knowledge, the experience, right? And uh, and if not, we'll continue to follow him. We'll have a beer with him when he comes in through Tulsa too. Yeah, I know it's said off air, but thank you to uh, Derek Damon for yep, uh, saying yeah. a good word about it. So I, I appreciate him uh, for doing that. So absolutely, yeah, thank you, Derek, and to all of our our Bruins fans out there. We're in this together. Let's <laughs> heartbreak together. So it'll be okay. Yeah, I'm not gonna talk about it. We'll just we won't talk about it. Just we'll, we'll be with you. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about Sorry. it. But anyway, we want to thank everybody uh, for tuning in. Continue to subscribe. Uh, check out also our YouTube, where you'll see uh, us doing our thing. Uh, some people wanted that, and we're getting subscribers there. So we want to thank everybody and go hockey. We all do this for the love of hockey. Yeah, absolutely, and have a good rest of the day. Thank you, guys.